0: Welcome to the Unmachine Yourself podcast, facilitated by Hatch and hosted by me, Roanne van Voorst. I'm a futures anthropologist, and in this series I get to speak with CEOs, managers of big corporates, thought leaders, about the future of work and leadership. Have fun. Boris Veldhuizen van Zanten is a serial internet entrepreneur and has founded many startups one of them was HubHop, Hub, the first wi-fi hotspot operator in the netherlands and if i'm not mistaken you sold that and it's now known as uh, kapien hotspots right yeah just so people know Most people will know him from The Next Web as its co-founder and running CEO. The Next Web is a future-proof tech media company which organizes, amongst others, The Next Web Conference, a yearly internationally-focused internet conference where attendees, startups, and speakers from all over the world come together to discuss the future of the web. And they have a blog also with news aimed at internet professionals from all over the world, which has over 6 million page views per month. That's quite impressive.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of people.
0: Yeah, so we're going to talk about um, the next web. Um, We're going to talk about the future of work and leadership. But I want to start just with something very simple and more focused on the past. Namely,
1: what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? Um, I I think uh, my opinion or my plan changed every month. But one uh, common theme is that I wanted to be a millionaire. Ah. Uh, And it's a sort of weird story where um, somebody explained the concept of a millionaire as somebody who wore fancy clothes and uh, could do anything they wanted. And and so as a child, I thought like, well, then that's what I want to be. And so for years, when people said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, a millionaire.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Well, we're actually recording today in a fashion designer atelier. Yeah, 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 I Uh, I like it. We we always try to kind of uh, pick out locations that have to do with um, skills of the futures. And one of the skills that people often mention is creativity. So here we are. So you can look around for the fancy clothing of a millionaire, maybe. Yeah, it's beautiful. (laughs) Hey, And so when in your life did you realize that you are an entrepreneur? Because you seem very entrepreneurial with all the uh, things that you started.
1: Uh, yeah, there was one defining moment. I remember when uh, when I was 15, I decided to uh, drop out of school and go to the circus school. And <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and I remember uh, that caused some uh, panic uh, in sort of the the people around me except my parents who were very supportive but uh in school i I remember one of the teachers he took me apart and he said if you drop out of school right now you sort of drop out of society and you're going straight to the gutter and and then like nothing will ever be easy again and you'll have to do everything yourself and it's just the worst and i remember listening to his story and thinking that sounds amazing (laughs) because that means that I'm I'm sort of going back to square one, but then I'll know that everything I do will just be me, right? So every choice I I can make will be sort of a defining thing for my future. And so it felt, it sounded very empowering. I thought like, well... You
0: like the whole autonomous feeling of it.
1: Totally, yeah. 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 And sort of the, the feeling of starting all over, but then everything you build is yours. So I I think that from that moment on, I felt like an entrepreneur, even though I went to circus school and art school uh, later. I always had this feeling of uh, autonomy and and responsibility and... and, uh, yeah independence i I guess
0: and in a weird way i always find that true entrepreneurs are very creative also Mm. sometimes in their thinking sometimes in kind of thinking outside of the box so maybe the art school and the circus school was also feeding into that
1: yeah so uh, the funny thing is if i meet people who uh, know me from art school or even earlier uh, and, and i tell them i'm an entrepreneur now um like, sometimes people will be surprised and say, like, oh, oh, well, do you still do anything with art or, right? So they're sort of hesitant, like, was that all a waste? And uh, But for me, it was a very, um, like, looking back, it's very easy to connect the dots and see how everything contributed to who I am today. So, yeah. So circus school is, is just discipline, right? It's just uh, circus life is very disciplined and hard work. So that's what you learn in, in circus school. And art school, I think you like I, I studied art for seven years and, and the the main thing you learn is sort of apples, uh, or it used to be their slogan, think different, mm-hmm. right? So, so and, and yeah. of course in the broadest way. So just looking at the world with a different uh, vision, and so, so those two working really hard and having a different view on on life and and everything I, like I, I I that's knowledge or skill that I use every day almost right. So I'll yeah. be in meetings and I, I uh, there will be a point where either I just work harder than other people or I notice that like the group is stuck in one way of thinking and then I'm like yeah, but it's so obvious to do like the complete opposite and then i say one little thing and they're like oh wow how did you come up with that and i'm like well it's just logical right but but this uh, is yeah. interesting
0: because you're kind of suggesting now that that learning to think in a more creative or in a very different way is something that you can learn almost to counter think do you think that's true or do you need to be able to do that already and then you can become better at it
1: maybe so nature or nurture uh-huh. when it comes to yeah. crea- creativity yeah. I don't know. That's too complicated question for me to answer, right? I I, I think there was always something um, in me, like uh, the creativity was always there. And then Art Academy um, strengthened that or or condensed it, I don't know. Well, thinking outside
0: of the box, do you think you can, if you already have a pinch of that, do you think you can become better at that?
1: Yeah, I think so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, um, either you go to art school or you take LSD, and then so it's either. Those are the two options.
0: <laughs> yeah, and LSD
1: works. It works. I, I've, yeah, heard. Yeah. No, I've heard. I've heard. Yeah. I've tried it once. Yeah, yeah. but that, that's the funny thing. So I, I tried it once, and uh, um, and it's not that it didn't work, but it didn't give me what it gave everybody else. Sort of like, oh my God, the narratives, everything is, and yeah, the understanding. everything is possible, and. But then I thought about it a little bit more and I thought it actually makes sense. So I think if you're if you grow up in the Midwest of the US and your parents are Republicans and you do everything mm. as you're supposed to do it, and then you go to San Francisco and suddenly everything is weird and then you take LSD and you're suddenly like, Oh my god, everything is possible, right? And and that's the breakthrough. And then for me I'm like, Yeah, yeah been there done that right I've, I've i've been to art school for years i i know that everything is possible mm-hmm. right so so i i didn't need that breakthrough the unbounded thinking is already kind of there yeah it's already yeah. there I, yeah. I worked on that for a long time so yeah have unbounded. you
0: ever yeah. because you don't seem to be afraid to make your own decisions like if you're 15 and you're not afraid yeah. of a teacher that is kind of threatening you into <laughs> to go into the yeah. slums of life yeah. um and then I read through all the things that you've done, um, you've you've founded a lot of companies and, and some were really successful and others perhaps less, I don't know, but mm-hmm. you don't seem afraid to take risks or to do that. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, there are a few things there, like, like one lesson which came later, but uh, so I, I, the first company, like the first real company, I had some projects, but then the first real company that I built, we sold in 1999 and... Uh, there was a like a glorious moment where I could call my mother or my parents and and say uh, I'm now a multi-millionaire because I, I just sold my company in stock, and uh, but, but that was of course amazing because I felt like I had, had come from nothing and then built something up and and I'm sure they thought they would like have to pay for me for the rest of their life so that was a great call to make, and then in 2001 uh, I lost all the money that I gained and I went sort of back to just being a poor art student because I got paid in stock and then 2001, of course, everything collapsed. The bubble, yeah. The bubble collapsed and that was a, uh, I'm not going to say that I was not disappointed but I remember there was a moment where um, I was thinking about like what the future would hold and I realized like, well, I probably have to sell the house and the car that I'm driving is just also too expensive and maybe I'll, I'll just go bankrupt, right? Personally bankrupt, and and then that's really back to square one. And then I realized, like, yeah, but there's not nothing has changed or something. There's, I'm still very happy. I'm, I'm really enjoying the things that I do. And so apparently, and, and this is of course what everybody says, but uh, but but I realized, like, so apparently the money doesn't really matter for me. In terms of happiness, right? So, I, so, so you could say that my level of joy in life is sort of stable, no matter how bad or, or yeah. good circumstances are. And so that gave me a, a lot of confidence because then I thought uh, that's actually true um, wealth. Yeah. Right. If 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 you feel if the like core of the...
0: you is relatively stable and happy anyway, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then it becomes easier, I guess, to take risks as yeah. well.
1: Yeah. So uh, there's a story about uh, Google that in the first ten years of their existence, so from the outside it seems just like a success story. They started Google and it got bigger, 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 and then IPO and even bigger, bigger, bigger. That's the outside, but. On the inside, they know that in the first 10 years there were 15 moments where in the evening they didn't know if they would still have a company the next day. So just make or break everything all red and, and maybe we lose the company. And you can read about the 15 moments and they're all real. Like if you read them, you're like, oh, wow, that could have definitely been the end of the company. But they had, a, had the confidence somehow to just take that bet and then... So 15 times uh, all on red and, and win and continue, and i forgot my point. But
0: uh, well, we were talking about um, taking risk. It's risks, a good story. Taking <laughs> risk, and it was a very good yeah. story. And we and we went from LSD hmm. to you in circus. So and, taking you know, risks. This is yeah. great. No, yeah. but uh, but taking <laughs> risks. Yeah, and then yeah. Um, some of, some of the companies were, were more or less successful. Some some you, you sold, some you lost a lot of money again. Yep. But um, the Next Web is doing really good. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about the success, like also the 6 million page views for, per month. I wanted to ask you about the success, like what is the success? And then mm. not so much in a PR yeah. way, but more relating it also to what do you need nowadays to get? that type of success because yeah. it's rough times.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or can be. So I, I think the looking back to the like the, the, the humble beginnings of TNW was mm-hmm. like we had a different company and we wanted to launch that at a conference and so we couldn't afford to sponsor a different conference and then very naively we said let's just host our own conference. How hard can it be? And we had no goal to make money. We just thought, like, if it's break-even, it's still cheaper than paying someone else, and then we can invite all, like, the people we look up to as speakers, and all our friends as audience, and it's just, just that's how naive we were, and, and, and uh, the thing worked. But I think, uh, like, if you ask me about the secret of our yeah. success, I think it's that, right? Mm. So, so we started, we started it because we thought it would be a nice thing to do. And then we made something that we thought people would just like. And like the whole making money aspect was just didn't come into play until later. And I think that's very much the culture. Not mm-hmm. that we don't want to make money, but that we're always focusing on, all right, how can we make the best conference? How can we write the best content? And then we have this confidence that the money will will come
0: yeah and apparently there was also a belief or a knowledge that the thing that you were developing was really needed because you wanted to use it yourself as well
1: right yeah. yeah and i but I think that that was the like the goal was let's let's create a conference that we would like to go to right just just like our audience was ourselves, yeah, and we would have been perfectly happy if if that was it, and I think that's a um I think that's different from a lot of companies. Where it, it, yeah,
0: it sounds less needy as well. Like if you think we're yeah. just going to build something cool, something nice, yeah. instead of... There's the urgency of the money yeah. there, because yeah. then... You know. Even
1: with the, the blog. So it's, uh, of course, the biggest part of the company in, in reach with the, the millions of uh, readers a month. But uh, we started it also very simply. So uh, we had the conference and we thought we want to get more people to the conference and the conference is sort of a curve from no attention for the conference. And then the attention increases and then you have the conference. So there's a lot of attention. And then the next day there's a drop off back to zero. And then before the next conference, you sort of have to build up the whole thing back to getting attention for it. So then we thought, well, if we would hire one writer, so they can write about cool stories every day. And then we sort of keep up the momentum and the attention through the whole year. And and then, uh, so tickets were 500 euros. So we thought, so would we sell 50 more tickets if we have this attention f- through the whole year? We're like, yeah, probably. So 50 times uh, 500 is uh, 25,000, I think. So we thought, well, then we can just hire a writer and it will payback itself and that's how we started getting into the media business mm. where every other media publishing company they they were cr- sort of going the other way around mm. right they said well there's money in advertising all right mm-hmm. how can we get traffic and how much so how many writers do we need to get to that traffic mm. and so they sort of started from the advertising side and but because for us, advertising wasn't really the point. We could just write whatever we wanted. We weren't even taking it that seriously. We were just joking around, writing. Like, I remember one article that I really enjoyed was of a writer. And he said, this is what the publishing industry or sort of the, yeah, the old, old school publishing industry can do to save themselves. And then the article was just blank, no text at all. And I thought it was hilarious just because, like, the joke was in, like, nothing. There's nothing you can do. But then people got upset, like, oh, I clicked on the title and there's nothing. Is there a bug? Is the content system down? i was like, no, no, this is it. I thought that was hilarious. And there were just no rules. And we didn't care because we had no advertisers to please or anything. And then at one point we had so so much traffic that, of course, companies came and said, hey, you have a lot of traffic. Don't you want to? Can we advertise? And we're like, well... Maybe, yeah, and so it was a, another sort of proof that if you do something that's really interesting and fun and you enjoy and then you'll create an audience and as soon as you have an audience, there will be ways to monetize that.
0: Yeah, so. and do you, do you still think that goes? Because if you, if you look, I don't know, five yeah. or 10 years ahead, longer is always difficult, but mm-hmm. um, the, the, the world is changing Really fast, and things become more uncertain, and there's more yeah. competition, etc. How do you see the future for companies? What do they, do they need to do to stay successful?
1: Well, I have a lot of so. Of course, my, my principles don't work for everyone, but um, I, I think it's uh, Steve Jobs who said, "Like a startup is going to take you four or eight years, and there's a there's a high probability that it will fail." So if you're gonna spend like a major part of the useful part of your life doing this, make it something that you enjoy doing every mm-hmm. day, right? Because otherwise, yeah. it's just wasted time.
0: And you probably won't sustain. Like you can't. And it, that's the gonna other be side. Yeah. Hard. you're yeah. not
1: gonna sustain or or persist if, if it's just uh, shitty work. So so uh, um, so that's a principle that I I firmly believe in, and I also firmly believe that. Uh, being professional doesn't mean that it has to be strict and without a sense of humor or without life. Uh, like if you if you search for a business meeting in a stock photography website, you usually see white, very serious Black men suits. Yeah. in suits in a awfully lit uh, room having a meeting, right? That's sort of the, the stock photography uh, concept of, of doing business. And I think the doing business with a smile and a drink in a bar is, is fine, right? So so if you, if you, I think if a customer, there there's always alternatives. So they can choose you or mm-hmm. 60 alternatives. But if you're the person who puts a smile on their face, I, I think they'll choose you. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and I, I guess in this podcast, I can't recall who it was, but it came on the topic of trust, like even if you're, Making large deals, it's still about having a nice conversation and just yeah. kind of whether you're truly connecting with somebody. Yeah. And sometimes that might be easier in a coffee shop or a bar or yeah. than in the boardroom.
1: Yeah, we, we sold the majority of our company to the Financial Times a little bit more than a year ago. And, and this is, of course, a very serious Business deal. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, eleven months of uh, research and, and negotiation. So so very much a business deal. But I asked their CFO after the deal, like, what, what was the thing? Right? Was there one thing where you thought? And he said, Yes, yes. So, uh, like in the first month, we were almost ready to walk away. And but then you invited us to a barbecue where you and the founder were making dinner for the whole company like a hundred people we were sort of sweating in the kitchen and we couldn't give them a lot of attention because we were focused on the food and but having just a great time in the sun and with drinks and and then he said um, it was just so clear the, the the amount of passion you put in your work and how how uh, how you treat the people who work for you and that was the moment that we fell in love with the company hmm. and I thought, of of course, it was a a great story, but also, yeah, more proof that that even a a huge business deal like this, which is very much about the Excel sheet and everything, what was the thing that sealed it? Our passion and our humanity that we put into everything and and the the personal aspect and the putting a smile on someone's face. All these things, and I think these things last, right? Yeah. uh,
0: and perhaps even more, if you think about a future where things are more remote and more technical, you still need yeah. the human aspect, Definitely. right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, like, I, I love putting the humanity into things.
0: But how do you right? do that? Because you say, well, we have 100 people. Mm-hmm. Um, how do, how do you keep things human, then, or well, close by, or yeah, trustful? Yeah,
1: so I, I can tell you what, one trick. So, um, like, if, if you... Sometimes I'll, I'll uh, speak for a large group. And the goal, of course, is to, or, or you know it's, it's going to go well if you have a personal connection with everybody in the room. Yeah. But there might be 500 or 1,000 or 5,000 people in the room, right? So you know, well, that's just not possible. But then there's a trick. So the trick is if, uh, if somebody is more than, I think, 15 meters away from you, and you look sort of in the middle of a group of 20 people then they can't really tell if you're looking straight at them or sort of in a group around you and and to them it feels like you're looking straight at them so as soon as you know that you can uh, separate the room into groups of 20 people and and larger in the back and while you speak you sort of look group number one and then stare at group number two for a few seconds
0: yeah so your face kind of goes from left to right yes yeah yeah
1: so that's what i do when i talk to a large group i go through the whole room and i look at people as much as possible focus on their eyes and i know that then a large group will feel like he was looking right at me and they feel a personal connection so that's a small trick for speakers but you can apply it to a lot. So we have the conference, and we had, um, last conference, we had 20,000 attendees, 15,000. 15, and in the opening uh, keynote, I said, I want to shake everybody's hand. And then, of course, you know that's just uh, impossible. But I've learned another trick, that if there's a group of uh, maybe five people, you walk up to them, and you shake hands with one of them, the rest will feel like, oh, I shook hands with Boris. mm mm-hmm. Oh, did you actually shake hands with Boris? Well, I was standing next to someone and they shook hands. So, sort of, yeah, sort of, I did, right? It it feels as if
0: you've at least connected a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. You were
1: sort of in the presence of the handshaking moment and then it feels like it was your moment. And then we have 100 employees and they also walk around and shake hands with a lot of people, groups of five or 10 people. And then we have 200 volunteers and they do the same. So, at the end of the conference everybody will feel like they shook hands with somebody from t and yeah. Even if it's not really me yeah. personally. Even if it's not even their hand touching someone else. But that's how you create sort of a personal atmosphere, even at an event with 15,000 people. I like it. So, so, so
0: now you've given me, I think, three tips uh, for um, individuals or companies for future proof hmm. working. One is do something that you really like. Two is it doesn't have to be so strict. It can be rather playful or personal. Three is make it personal, even if you work in larger groups. Do you have perhaps another capability that that you think a new leader, as they often call it, should have? Something that you find really important for future leaders?
1: Yeah, I I think it's, uh, or at least I'll, I'll give you my stuff, right? So I I. I keep emphasizing that, um, that we have to show the humanity in tech. And that means that you also have to recognize the humanity and the people who work for you and in your audience. And you can't do that unless you show them that you're human as well. So, <clears throat> so at the office, I think I'm very open about the, the doubts I have and the insecurities. And uh, if I'm down or even maybe Slightly depressed. I'll I'll share that. I'll I'll show it, and by showing that, so I've learned that <clears throat> by showing your sensitivity, uh, you actually come across as stronger, right? Because it shows you have the confidence to even talk about the stuff you're not so sure about, and and I see that that's working really well. So people, because then they feel like, oh, if he's human then i can be a human as well right Mm -hmm. so and it makes um, it
0: more honest or is the impact that perhaps people don't go burn out because they notify earlier or
1: i think if you uh put the humanity into everything and then you can connect to the humans that are your audience on that human level right then then you then you have a connection i think the worst like the, the worst thing that consumers describe is, I felt like I was just a number to them. With the opposite being, they made me feel human, right? So I think that's what we're going for. And we're working in technology, which is very binary and cold and steel and plastic. But I'm like, no, it's all created by humans for humans. It's it's really about our humanity, uh, strengthening our abilities and, and maybe compensating for our weaknesses, that should be the goal, mm-hmm. but the humanity. So if you want to ha- have that in technology, then you also need to have it in your company. And then, of course, lead by example, you have to also show your own humanity.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. Just as a last question, you seemed in the beginning when you were explaining how you strategized almost like, oh, let's have a blog and, and, and do it the other way, right? Yeah. Um, so you're just creating your audience, and then suddenly the income opportunities came.
1: Yeah.
0: You seem to have made a right guess with a future strategy that you didn't know was going to work. Yeah. What is one of the things that you're planning to do with TNW, like a, a future strategy or a radical change, or can you can you shed light on something that is going to be different or new? Uh, into the future
1: well i'll give you an example but not a TNW and w thing mm-hmm. but um, might be something else yeah
0: so you're going back to the circus
1: well no I, I have a hobby project now ah yeah i'm building a like a system online so i'm i'm, I'm uh, developing a writing code which is hilarious because i'm a, an awful developer but there's google so you can always google everything youtube hooray <laughs> <laughs> right yeah um but this is, uh, the the reason why I started building is it because I, I, I made a joke on Twitter, and and then it went viral. So it's like thousands of um, likes and reactions and retweets, and, and people really um, uh, like the joke. They like the joke, and that to me is a very powerful signal, right? So because then I'm I'm thinking if it makes so many people laugh then apparently I struck a nerve and there's probably something there. So now I'm taking the thing that makes people laugh and I'm thinking I'm going to expand on that and turn it into a business. And the reason I like that is there there's a quote by uh, Isaac Asimov mm-hmm. and he says the, the most important breakthroughs in science are never a eureka, right? Nobody shouts eureka, but hey, that's funny. And his story... Was that uh, so? He had a um, research facility and there were like a 80 scientists working. And every now and then, one he would see a group of people laugh and he would walk over and he'd say, Hey, what's going on? And they would say, Well, we were doing this, hoping for that, but then this happened and that's funny. And then he said, Those are the breakthroughs, right? Because then there's sort of happening with your curiosity something curiosity. unexpectedly yeah. yeah unexpected and then that's fun that's the story you'll, you'll tell your loved ones or your kids over dinner hey that's funny I, I did a new thing and then they're like oh wow that's funny i want to do that too right that's the sort of the the thing I'm i'm looking for and so when i did this thing where i thought well people really think this is funny well then there's something there then there's kids, the signal yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And that gave me sort of some of the excitement of starting a new thing, where you're like, it doesn't really matter. And I like I had no concept of how to monetize it because it was just a joke. But then, if you start building and you're thinking like, well, so what is it? What is the thing that people like about it? Well, it's it's this part. And then all right, I'm gonna expand on that. And then probably if enough people will like it, well, there will be some way to make money, right? It's not that's not the concern. The concern is how do you make something where people will go like, wow this is funny, right? I'm going to tell other people because this is just a cool thing that I discovered. So that's where I get my excitement.
0: That's a great tip. I think follow the fun is something that we... uh, Absolutely. Start with. If there's something that gives you
1: joy and like in the evening you're in your bed like, this is so amazing. This is so much fun. I have no idea how to monetize it. It doesn't matter. That's no. the starter. Yeah, because yeah. if 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 we'll, if it will put a smile on your face, it will probably put a smile on other people's face. Yeah. And at one point somebody will pay for that. So
0: great. Well, thanks for sharing so many useful tips. My pleasure. Thank you also for listening or watching to the episode of the Unmachine Yourself podcast podcast. And if you found this story, inspiring or useful then please do share it with your own network and get the ripple effect going because we need more future-proof leaders and organizations you'd also make us super happy with a nice review in itunes because that makes this podcast easier to find hope we will see you back next time